When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now, to Dave Hooker. Ready. All right, here we go. A busy day, in my opinion, from my perspective, three days away until football season kicks off because it'll be SEC Media Days. We'll be broadcasting live from Nashville. Looking forward to that. And that'll be brought to you in part by our friends at Zen Sports. So, man, we've got a lot going on on the program today. It's a Football Friday with Fred, Fred White will join us. Ryan Day wants to change the whole field to benefit him, wants to move the hashes in, which would affect Tennessee and their spacing. Also, Joe Milton named one of the 10 most intriguing players in the SEC. I'm not so sure that he's a lock for number one, considering the backstory. Greg Sankey with a new contract. Does he deserve it? And the 10 best coaching jobs in college football we do want to lead though with a a little bit of uh, breaking news and that is austin price who will join us for the first show at sec media days on monday has reported that tennessee will learn its fate concerning the ncaa today so i want to go ahead and tell you if you're listening live at 10 o'clock as we're weekdays live At 10 a.m., we will have a bonus edition of the program as soon as we learn about uh, Tennessee's fate with the NCAA. From what I have been told, I do not believe it will be overly serious. I do not believe there will be a bowl ban. I have said this all along, and I do not believe there will be serious scholarship reductions. Uh, Could there be some limitations on recruiting travel? Absolutely. You could see some of that. You could see a probationary period of 
two or three years. This is what I've been told. Again, we'll have a special show at noon when the news is released by the University of Tennessee. But nowadays, even a scholarship reduction, and when I say scholarship reduction, I'm talking five, six, seven, eight scholarships, is not a big deal because of the transfer portal and being able to bring people in. So a lot going on. Click that like button. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. And I got to get the notifications on because we got big time stuff coming up. Dante Stallworth on the YouTube page. He played Peter Warwick leading up to the national championship game. So, Caleb, huge day as we look forward to SEC Media Days. And again, that special show that we'll have just a little afternoon when we hear uh, Tennessee's NCAA fate. Uh, I just... I would be stunned It is if it's overly serious in terms of the punishment. I do not believe that they will come down heavy on Tennessee because of the way they separated themselves from Jeremy Pruitt. And I believe a lot of this was done by Jeremy Pruitt without the knowledge of Philip Fulmer, who would have been the athletic director, now, you could argue they should have done more to separate themselves with Philip Fulmer, but I don't think Fulmer was, had any knowledge of the things that were going on then. The next step might be, the next step might be if Jeremy Pruitt decides to come back in Tennessee, at Tennessee. So uh, we'll see. Uh, a lot of people, uh, well, on the message board, we've got some people that think that, that they're concerned about dropping the hammer down. Caleb, I just don't see that. Uh, th this show's on YouTube. People can go back and watch. I could be proven wrong, but I don't see that. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Dave, and I agree with you. One of the biggest reasons I don't think they're going to bring the hammer down is you bring up this point all the time. The NCAA's business is staying in business. And there's no better way for them to lose even more credibility and people to leave them faster than if they bring the hammer down on a program like Tennessee with Tennessee kind of on the rise right now under Josh Heupel. That would just be devastating for the powers that be in college football. So I don't think they have the guts to do that whatsoever. If you just play the odds and you look back over the years, whether it's North Carolina, uh, Southern California, and you, you go back and you look at those that really more serious infractions have been committed. And if you just play the odds, the NCAA, really other than Southern California, who have they come down on in the past two decades, uh, Caleb? And that'd be two and a half decades, I guess. I mean, there hasn't been. I mean, they came down on Penn State, but then they retracted their punishment for Penn State. Yeah, and I remove, and I I, I want to be clear too. I remove personally, and I'm sorry to ask a misleading question, Penn State, because that's crimes against humanity. So, but just for NCAA stuff that is not even technically illegal by the law, Southern California is the only one. And I thought that was just because it was so incredibly brash and they were putting guys up in, you know, million dollar homes. Um, so I, I don't see it being... Also, Mike Garrett was so obnoxious as a USC athletic director. I think they wanted to come down on Mike Garrett because Mike Garrett was just a... He was so arrogant. And... That, I, and I don't think they were happy that he went out and hired Lane Kiffin either. I, yes. I mean, you hire Lane Kiffin, who had an NCAA issue. You're thumbing your nose at the NCAA in the process. So... 
Now, I don't I don't think this is going to be serious. We will have a special show. So if you're listening now, know that we will go live and I'll give you the breakdown. But I'm telling you what I've been told. Of course, the NCAA could be goofy, but my information's pretty darn recent. So let's get to some football as we've got that coming up. And what about my guy, Arian Carter? We're talking about linebackers yesterday and I mentioned the Aaron Beasley's of the world. I mentioned the Keenan Peeley's of the world. But who did I leave out? I left out Arian Carter. It wasn't on purpose. Didn't mean to omit him. But, wow, he is named one of the top freshmen to watch, one of the top 23 true, true freshmen to watch by 247 Sports. If everything comes together, if Beasley continues what he's been able to do, if Peeley is half the player that I think he will be, and I'm told he will be. And then you have an Arian Carter, who's more the fly-around, Raynock Thompson type of guy. You've got a really good linebacking core. So before we go through this list of true freshmen to watch, what do you think of Arian Carter, and how good can this Tennessee linebacking core be? I think they can be very good. And honestly, given the concerns in their secondary with Arian Carter, do you think there's a chance that Tim Binks goes a little more traditional with his base alignment this year as instead of like the nickel actually uses a base 4-3 a lot of times so we can get Carter, Peely, and Aaron Beasley all in there? I think against Georgia and Kentucky, absolutely. I think it gives them more versatility. I think Tennessee has been pushed into the nickel formation at times. And just for those that don't know, that's a lighter player, basically playing linebacker that's a defensive back. And you could say, no, he's just a linebacker now that he's moved up. But essentially, that's what that is. So playing the nickel is what Tennessee has leaned on, and that's been their base package, as Caleb mentioned. So, yes, I think if Arian Carter is that good, and from what I hear, he's got big-time wheels, and he can fly around, then there are times where you might have gone with a another player, a Wesley Walker or whoever, and you could go with Arian Carter because he can play the pass. He can play sideline to sideline against the run. And he can be a playmaker like we think of great linebackers. So, yes, I think there will be times when they're kind of 50-50 and they say, let's lean towards Carter a little bit more than you would have a defensive back in the past. That's a great point. Yeah, and it's particularly with the way Tim Biggs likes to draw blitzes and stunts to try to throw – quarterbacks off their game I, I think Tim Binks's philosophy is you're going to hate the comparison it's a it's, it's a little bit of a Chavis philosophy but not the same because Chavis was doing it with elite talent when he didn't have to do it as much but Tim Binks knowing he's a little undermanned is saying okay let's play soft in the secondary so let's make them work the field move it on the field and let's dial up pressure packages and hope that the pressure packages can force a mistake because if they keep having to move the ball downfield against pressure packages eventually they're going to make make a mistake and I know you can screen the, – the, the, the key on this is knowing when you're going to get screened to death because that, that'll knock that out in two seconds. But if he can, if he can anticipate that, then I think that you go more for the, four, you go more for the standard 4-3 route. And you're right, specifically against Georgia, you go the 4-3 route because you've got to be able to stop the run better than you did last year. So, yeah, no, I think that that's a – I think that's going to give Tennessee a lot of options. We saw last year – they really only had Jeremy Binks and Aaron Beasley. All due respect to Jawan Mitchell, he never really lived up to his hype transferring from Texas, I don't think. And 
I think I, I'm starting to think the biggest reason Joao Mitchell maybe entered the portal is maybe because he knew about how good Arian Carter was going to be. And by the way, could Aaron Carter actually get a starting job above Peely or Aaron Beasley? Is that possible? I think he could rotate with one of the guys. I'm not willing to go that far unless Peely something happens and he turns out to be a bust and nobody's led me to believe that. So let's talk about some other freshmen that could have big time impacts like Carter. And it's brought to you by Zen Sports. Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get. And with their cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash for a welcome bonus. Earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the code HOOKED. That's HOOKED, H-O-O-K-E-D. Unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that. And refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too. Zen Sports is bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting. Betting just got better. So... With Arian Carter, we think he's going to have an impact. Who else out of Tennessee's true freshman class, not talking about transfers, which tend to garner most of the headlines, but what other true freshmen do you believe can have an impact this season? I've always been of the mindset, I'll see it when I believe it, and then I want to get to this 247 sports of some SEC guys that they believe will have impact as true freshman Caleb what other Tennessee freshman do you think could have a big impact because there's a good chance we'll be wrong because we thought Justin Williams Thomas would have a big impact at running back last year and he never saw the field as somebody told me he couldn't see a hole if it was laid out right in front of him uh, what other freshman hey, neither could Trent Richardson and he still won a national title at Alabama but you know <laughs> yeah but there were like three holes so he, he, could, he could go straight, step left, step right, and he's going to be all right. That offensive line was so massive. It was insane. <laughs> all right, so I think this offensive line is going to be pretty good. I'm not ready to say it's of that ill. What other Tennessee uh, freshman could have a major impact this year in your mind, Caleb, before we take a look at the SEC incoming freshman that 247 believes will have a big impact? Okay, so we've gone back to them a lot, but I'm going to go back to them again. I'm still very big on either – Jordan Matthews or Ricky Gibson. One of those guys is going to start this year. I, I don't, I, I actually think it's, I think if you were to set a betting line right now, I would say you make it more likely you would set it at how, how many true freshmen start in the secondary. You would set it at one or one and a half. <laughs> I mean, like, I, cause I think Jordan Matthews or Ricky Gibson is almost a sure bet to start this year at cornerback. One of them. And, and I would lead towards Jordan. But I, I have no strong indication from the people I talk to within the program. I would lean towards Matthews. I think he's a little bit thicker, a little bit stronger. But I think that's a great pick, one of those two guys. Here's what 247. And we also prefer Louisiana kids because we're apparently Louisiana homers on the show. So I'm not. You are. Here's what 247 <laughs> Sports had to say. Quote, you had a feeling when Carter picked Tennessee over Alabama, the talented linebacker would have a chance to crack the balls projected too deep as a freshman, and that's the case. Per Go Balls 247. Carter won the Mr. Football Award in Tennessee's highest classification last fall as the state's Gatorade Player of the Year after a remarkable two-way 
senior season, 92 tackles, six tackles for a loss, three sacks, five passes defended, three forced fumbles, one interception linebacker, along with 1,100 yards rushing, 19 scores. Given Tennessee's youth movement at linebacker following heavy production losses, which would be Jeremy Banks, Carter plays the one position in Knoxville where an early impact is needed most. And frankly, even if Jeremy Banks was back for another year, they needed more production out of that position. Doesn't he sound like, given the fact that he was probably the best athlete on his team, ran for 1,100 yards, what does that remind you of? By the way, the Dante Stallworth Celebrate 98 uh, video is up. It reminds me of those linebackers in in the late 90s and early 2000s, more late 90s, because kids didn't want to change positions after about that time, despite the fact that it would be better for them. It reminds me of those guys that played running back and they were the best athletes on their team and Tennessee would flip them to linebacker. Some knew before they got to campus, some did not. Dominique Stevenson, um, Al Wilson played running back. Uh, Raynock Thompson played running back. I could go on and on and on. So you make that flip because they're a great athlete, but they also have an innate feel for playing within the tackle box, which is a special gift. So it, it, it makes me think of those type of cats uh, where you're not just going out and get a guy who's mastered linebacker, but maybe is not the most physically gifted guy on his team. Does that make sense, Caleb? Yes, but the blasphemy of you to mention running backs from the 90s who played linebacker at Tennessee and not mention Al Wilson, who rushed for 1,100 yards in high school. I said Al. Did you say Al? Did I miss I you saying Al? Yeah. yeah, I said oh, Al. Okay, sorry. I, 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 don't, I don't know why I didn't hear you say Al for some reason. Sorry. No, but I, uh, I said Al specifically, who also played safety, because I got ripped on the YouTube message board because I didn't mention he played safety too. Yes, he did, but he also played running back. All those guys played running back, every single one of them. Stevens. I bet Ryan Carl didn't play running back. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Right. <laughs> right. Ryan Carl did not play running back. But the rest of them did. Um, yeah, I mean, they they all did. And they were all that good. And I just, uh, I, I like the, I, I like this move. I, I like it a lot. And um, if you had to pick between Arian Carter and one of the two corners you mentioned as being the biggest impact, would you take Carter or would you take one or both of the corners in Gibson and Matthews? I'm still going Matthews. And I'm actually with you. I'm going one of the corners. I'm going specifically Matthews. Um, I just, I have more. Tennessee is going to need to plug somebody in at cornerback this year. And so I, and I think Jordan Matthews is that guy. So yeah, I, that's where I'm at. Very fair. I can roll with that. All right. uh, Let's ask Jacob Warren because Jacob's pretty smart cat. He'll be at SEC media days next week. And uh, what does Jacob say about the channel? What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren asking you to like, subscribe, and share. Dave needs this. He does, and turn the notifications on. So we're so excited about SEC Media Days uh, next week, and Jacob will be there. And Jacob's already talked on our YouTube channel about how excited he is. And the guy that's going to light it up is going to be Joe Milton. He loves the spotlight, and I don't mean that in a bad way but he was also named as one of the most 10 intriguing players in the SEC. And I have trouble finding anybody that's more intriguing in the SEC. 
What the H? Brought to you by Craft Treats. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. All right, so most intriguing players in the SEC, according to On3. This appears to be in no particular order, and it's done by uh, Jesse Simonton, uh, who has done a fantastic job, and I really like his work. So Joe Milton is there, saying Joe Milton has spent the last two seasons honing his game and waiting for his opportunity to lead Tennessee's offense. Former Michigan transfer beat out Hendon Hooker for the starting job in 2021, but a minor injury and inconsistency relegated Milton to the bench. Now he's the guy and holding off Nico. And he's also a guy that, let's face it, it would be understandable if he had some doubts after the way things shook out in that Ole Miss game where he jumped out of bounds. It would be understandable if he had some doubts after the way Hendon Hooker played last year and had some questions about uh, just how good he can be in this offense because he did get benched, be it inconsistencies or injuries. So is is there good pressure or bad pressure for Joe Milton? I ask you that question, Caleb, and then we want to get into what players are actually more intriguing than Joe Milton. I can't think of any, and it's brought to you by Craft Treats. CraftTreats.com has all kinds of treats for your pets, but It has the chill pills with the CBD derivatives that will help with your pet's digestive issues, that will help with your pet's arthritis issues, and also can help with uh, anxiety issues. So every once in a while, I'll pop a chill pill with a CBD derivative. No, I don't. But I do give it to my pet. Um, And you go to crafttreats.com, use the promo code off the hook, off the hook, get 20% off. Please support our sponsors and advertisers. That's why we are here so is this good pressure bad pressure for joe milton and i'll tell you why i feel strongly one way or the other i think it's good because even though i do think he panicked in that old miss game i think largely joe milton is showing a level of embracement of the pressure that's been put on him this year it just seems like joe milton is much more ever since and I, I look at these things. We talked about this that you even told me based on reporting you had heard. Joe Milton got kicked into high gear when Nico Iamaliava showed up on campus. Not that he wasn't in high gear before, but that he felt the pressure when Nico Iamaliava arrived. Well, how did he respond to that pressure? He held on. He balled out in the spring. He was clear-cut the best quarterback in spring practice. Didn't panic at all. That, to me, is just the first sign of really standing out that, okay, when – there's any type of pressure put on Joe Milton, he embraces it. I mean, we've seen quarterbacks in the past that, you know, the minute pressure's on them in any sort of way, they fold. I mean, they collapse. I don't want to call him out, but when Eric Ainge was feeling Rick Clawson behind him, he melted down in 2005 and did not handle that well at all. And I so- would blame the coaches and the way they handled it more than Eric. But But either way, you're right. The way they handled it didn't sit well and it shouldn't have with either quarterback i thought they just just that's as bad a coaching here as i've seen up close 
Um, I thought they both they, they had both quarterbacks by the middle of the year mad about the way they handled it. If there had been a third quarterback, he'd have been mad too because it was a total fiasco. So who is more intriguing than Joe Milton on this list? I, and when you look at the list, um, I think you have to give the nod to Carson Beck because he's taken over for a national champion. And he's replacing a Stetson Bennett. I can go with that. But here are some of the uh, intriguing guys that are on this list. And one would be defensive lineman Mason Smith with an extra A. So it's Mason Smith of LSU. Wide receiver Malik Benson out of Alabama. I think he's big time because I don't think they ever got their receiver production where they wanted it last year. Will Rogers, Mississippi State. Um, I think Will's very good. I don't know what happens with the unfortunate passing of Mike Leach. Rest in peace. Um, but I, I I could see Will Rogers actually taking a dip um, because I think Mike Leach was so good with quarterbacks. And speaking of quarterbacks, Devin Leary of Kentucky was one of the most intriguing players. Kentucky could actually be better this year at the quarterback position because I know a lot of people knocked Will Levis, didn't like him in general, but he dealt with a lot of injuries. Cam Jackson, defensive lineman of Florida. Quarterback Spencer Rattler is named as one of the more intriguing players. Wide receiver Luther Burton of Missouri, running back Jarquez Hunter, who is very good at Auburn, are some of the guys that are intriguing. Out of that group, who stands out to you about intriguing? It's it's, it's a very quarterback-driven, but I, I think that because for all different reasons, Spencer Rattler, what Spencer Rattler are we going to get? Are we going to get the one that showed up the last three weeks of the season last year? And we don't, and, and there's two things. It's which Spencer Rattler are we going to get? And how good is he going to be with extremely incompetent Dowell Logans as, as his offensive coordinator? Which is to me, uh, those are two giant questions. I mean, I'll say this, whatever you want to say about Joe Milton, there's no questions about the ability of his coaches. I mean, nobody's really questioning that Josh Heupel can get the most out of him. And I think Dow Logans gets the worst out of everybody. Devin Leary at Kentucky. Not a, that was a good pickup for Kentucky. And Liam Cohen is back in Kentucky. And I'm telling you, for what Kentucky does, that is the best offensive coordinator they could get. So those two really stand out to me. I think it's Milton hands down because Travis brought this up in our message board. The whole football world knows his name and wants to see the bazooka show. I, I think that's the reason he's gotten so much pub about his arm strength and he's going to be sick of answering questions about his arm strength at SEC media days, but that's what separates him. I haven't seen multiple videos of Carson Beck throwing objects as far as he can. I haven't seen multiple videos about Spencer Rattler doing the same. Now I've seen Spencer Rattler pray play really well and i've seen him play really poorly so you could argue that one but no i think joe milton's the most intriguing player on this list and i don't think there's any question about that rocky top tom as a question he said considering georgia is a starting is starting a fresh year quarterback does our defense have the capability this year to keep us in the game We'll ask Fred White that because it's a football Friday with Fred and he's already on board. We love visiting with Fred. His appearance brought to you by Allstate and Tennessee Cider Company. TNCiderCompany.com. Use the promo code HAT and get some free swag with any purchase. You can order cider from almost anywhere in the United States of America and uh, know that 
it goes to a uh, big ball fan and our friend our friend Aaron Maples, Tennessee Cider Company, tnsidercompany.com. Two minutes. The man, the myth, the legend. Fred White with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Booker. and Craving Wings South North Shore location where we've heard people say that you can get the best wings in East Tennessee. Pero quien es este? El número 87, Jacob Warren. I'll just do six of my sauce 87, please. Imposible, señorita. Dale seis más. Look at these wings. Perfectas, deliciosas, fantásticas. Man, I don't know what you're saying, but it sounds awesome. How do you say fresh, never frozen in Spanish? Frescas, nunca congeladas. Make your way to Craving Wings and get you seis más. What was funny about Cadiz, we were a full continuum of care at that time. We had detox, we had inpatient, we had outpatient. So we were doing a lot of the things that we do now. But now we just do them so much better. It's really a simple program, but it's, we're complicated people. I am what I am, and now I gotta do something about it. You can take your life back. Call Cadiz today. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassey's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassey Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get caught, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. Let's go ahead and bring him in because a question asked on the message board that he would be able to answer better than me. It's a football Friday with Fred. Fred White joins us now. Fred, how are you, sir? You got your, your mic is muted. You don't have your mic. I think we can get that back. Let's try now. How about Fred White working out his mic issues? No, I don't hear you now. I don't hear you now. We can get Fred White worked out. So the the question was uh, facing a freshman quarterback at Georgia um, in Carson Beck. Uh, does that mean that Tennessee can keep it close? Yeah, I think that Tennessee can keep it close. But I'm curious with Fred as far as uh, what he thinks about going against a – there he is, going against a freshman quarterback. How are you, Fred? I'm doing good, Dave. How are you doing, buddy? Okay. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm ready. <laughs> we got now. Coach Fred White now with the headset. 
Yeah, like yes. I, was talking, I was talking to Jacob Warren uh, yesterday on our Vol Report brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden. I was like, D- does it feel like football season? Because SEC Media Days is next week. He's like, no. It's like, it's like it's not, not for three or four weeks or two or three weeks for those guys until uh, you get into preseason camp. But for me, like I, I hit another level. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm do cocaine, but if that was what it was like, that I would feel that way when SEC Media Days is here. So that's so. I guess if I want SEC Media Days in April, that I'll have to start doing some sort of drugs. But. Uh, Fred, we had a question before we get to a couple of things, including Ryan Day, who wants to move the hashes. And that was playing a, a freshman quarterback in Carson Beck at Georgia. It, the The question was phrased, can you keep it close? Yeah, I think Tennessee can keep it close and I, they can win that game. But when you face a freshman, Fred, as opposed to a guy that has a lot of experience and he'll have experience by that point of the season, but how much does it change things as a, a, a defensive player and a defensive back? You Experience wise. Yes. For you, when you're facing him, preparing for him. Yeah. Because well, when you have film on someone, it gives you a better sense of what they're going to be like. Um, when the season first starts, you, you really don't know what it's going to be like. You just go off of what someone did last year. You don't know if they got better, uh, if they got worse. Um, but during the season, if you, we're playing, you're talking about Georgia, right? We're talking about going all the way down to the schedule, all the way to Georgia, correct? November mm-hmm. the 18th. If you're not hitting on all cylinders by then, then something's wrong anyway. Um, <laughs> that's, that's just, that's towards the end of the season. That's when, you know, we always used to say we want to play, we wish we could play Florida at the end of the year because we're a better football team. And I feel like our coaches knew what players could do on our team as well as on theirs. So the game plans were a little bit different. Um, just they remember what you do in November. And I thought they remember what you do in November simply because we were better coached and we were better skilled. And we also understood what we were looking for and the tendencies of other teams. Um, the quarterbacks, the running backs, receivers, uh, you don't change much towards the end of the year. I mean, uh, in the beginning of the season, you may think you have something going and somebody may not may, may get injured early and you had to change your game plan. But towards the end of the year, whatever you call is what you're going to call. And that's it. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So in this particular case, it might be better to face Georgia early in the season, but you could make the same argument that Joe Milton's new ish. So that could go either way. Fred, if people want fantastic coverage, how do they get in good hands with Fred White? You know, they, they can give us a phone call at 770-381-0367. Or they can also look us up online at fredwhiteallstate.com or just Google us, Fred White Allstate. Um, we are also on every social media platform there is, and it's Fred White Allstate again. Yep, great stuff. All right, so we got Mr. Jones saying TGIF. Thank God it's Fred Day. I like that. <laughs> I like that too. Yeah, Thank you for we, that, sir. We should have thought of that about 15 years ago. We might still I know, right? I'm like, that might be pretty good. Um, all right, so Fred, Ryan Day at Ohio State said uh, recently that he thinks the hashes should be moved in. So let's start like an elementary level because you know way more about football than I do, and I'm somewhere in between those that might not understand. What are the difference between the hashes 
in college and the NFL to make sure everybody's following along and we're on the same page? Well, in college, you play, it's, it's a wider field because of that, you know, where the ball is set up and you have more field side, you know, those type of things. When, it's, when you're on the left hash, you got a whole lot of field on the right. But when it comes to like the hashes being like the NFL hashes, most of the game is played in the middle of the field. And that's the biggest difference. It's just the game is played right in the middle of the field as opposed to having more room to maneuver or throw that deep out route or corner route on the outside of the, uh, over there. You know, that's, that's kind of a difference. For instance, playing a 1998 National Championship game, you look at where they were lined up um, when they threw the interception, the way picked up the interception, they was on the wide side of the football field, that wide hash. If it was in the middle of the field, I don't think it's the same type of throw. You know what I mean? That throw gets there a little bit faster because that out route's a little closer. Um, I just think that leave the college game where it is. Leave it alone. When you want to, when you want to play in the middle of the football field, you make it to the NFL. That's the whole thing. Thing for me. Don't try to make the game more like the NFL. Let college be college. So let me ask you this specifically: How would it, if at all? Back Josh Heupel's offense if they moved the hashes to the NFL and they moved them in? I, I mean, like I said, the game is played in the middle of the field at that point. So, I mean, I don't think it would change what he runs or what he does, but I think having that the wide hashes has an advantage for offenses in college. Just simply because you can, you can use more of that football side of the field or um, have more room to run certain plays or do certain things. I don't think that would mess up his calling or game plan or whatever. It just, you know, it just gives you extra space. Okay. So when you get the ball to someone out of space, like a squirrel white or whatever, and you got a wide side of the football field to be able to get, you know, him in more space, it just gives you more space to use your, to maneuver. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So the columnist I read thought it would really hurt Josh Heifel's offense. I didn't, I'm not going to name him. I didn't get hey man, that at all. I don't think he knows anything about football. <laughs> he just knows what he he just he's just talking. I don't think he knows anything about football. I don't know who that guy was, but I said it. Tell him I said it. We we, we don't have to name him. <laughs> he's a fairly nice guy. But anyway, take off, Caleb. So Fred, if that happened, yes, yeah, so if they moved it in, so I think that advantage of Josh Heibel's offense is right now because they spread so far, defenses have to declare if they're going to play the run of the pass. You're saying even if the hashes were moved in, they'd still in against Josh Heupel's offense, they'd still have to declare that, wouldn't they? They wouldn't be able to disguise the coverage, right? I mean, you yeah, you wouldn't be able to. I mean, it's not just Josh's offense. Yeah, it's Georgia's offense is the same. It's very similar. Their concepts are just different. It's all about getting guys in space. Oregon did it the same way years ago with um, the head coach they had. I can't remember his name, but everybody kind of made a, a version of that because of how fast he went and those type of things, it's still calling the same plays. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's different just because you got more hash and more space. You're still calling the same plays. It's no different. You still got to stop the guy that's in front of you. You got to beat that guy. You got to win your one-on-one battles. Nothing changes out of it as far as calling plays in the space. The one thing that I, I wanted to ask you that I haven't heard of anybody that might address it, but I, I remember interviewing Gary Danielson and he said, this part of football has bastardized the sport, which is a great word. If we all use the word bastardized daily, it might be a more fun world. Um, but he was referring to the fact that 
offensive linemen basically don't have to declare if they're against the run or the pass, and they're allowed to release further downfield. The NFL, you can only go a yard downfield, and with the with college football, you can go three yards downfield. So mm-hmm. you're essentially blocking for a receiver at some point. What are your thoughts on on that rule and the way college mandates it? And it's part of the reason the RPO game, right, is so much yes. more effective in college. It is a lot more effective in college because of that. Because as a safety, if I'm coming, if I'm reading my uncovered lineman to my receiver, um, for you, for guys who understand the game, if you actually know how to play the game very well and be good at safety, you should be able to be, read from the uncovered lineman, which may be the center or the guard. And those guys usually give you a play before the play starts. They're either leaning forward or they're leaning backwards. And if that guy, the, if the ball is snapped from the center and he's uncovered, the first thing he's going to do is help because that's his, that's his responsibility. He's going to help backing up, but he's going to help going forward. Now, if that guy can go forward three yards, it tells me run as a safety. So I'm coming down. But if, they, if it's RPO and they see me come down, now I leave a space open in the passing game, which is why it's so hard to, to cover those RPOs. If that guy's only going down one yard, I can now establish whether it's run or pass a lot faster. Is that so, – yeah. I know Caleb's going to jump in though. But is that fair to the defense? Is that a rule you're okay with? Or are you kind of like, eh? I don't like the rule because it makes you, you have to wait sometimes as a safety and as a linebacker. So you don't get a chance to pull the trigger as fast sometimes because of that. Because if, as a linebacker, if you're looking at the linebacker stance, he's five, six yards off the ball. When that lineman is coming at him, he's expected to go and attack that lineman, you know, in his gap. Because it's a run play at that point. Well, if that guy's coming at him and then it's a pass, he leaves a, a space behind him also. It kind of hurts your defense because there's an opening there now where it shouldn't be. If that makes sense. No, I got you. Fred, it's funny because I, I, I totally understand. I'm not crazy about the rule either. There's two types of blocking rules I'm not a fan of that I don't think should be allowed. One of them is that. But the other one, I want to know your thoughts because you played – because you had to face the triple option when you played in college, the cut blocks, how like, should those ever be allowed in college football? I just feel like it's a cheap way to try to run your offense. Well, just know if I, if you can cut me, I can cut you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm being honest when I say that, if you can cut me, that means I can cut you. So if you don't want me to cut you, you shouldn't be cutting me. And that's part of the rule. But if that rule is coming like that and the guy's coming to cut me, and he gets a good shot. He better know the next few plays. If I ever get another shot on him, I'm going to. I just want you to know how it feels because it doesn't feel good. Now, and and let's be real clear. There's a difference between cut blocking, which is part of the game, and chop blocking when you're engaged with another yeah. lineman, which is just nasty, dirty, and illegal. And those yes. guys should be thrown mm-hmm. through games just like defensive backs who hit high or target those guys yes. should be thrown through games in my opinion i don't know that's the case that's the football man i hate that part of the rule a but chop I block when you're engaged with another guy, no, guy no, you, you just said a, a safety that comes a, a db that comes and hits up high what that mean that's what you're supposed to do hit them up high Would you oh <laughs> well no we could we could debate whether or not those rules but if you're going to enforce those rules in targeting, you should enforce the rules in the trenches where 
people are taking out people's knees in a chop. Yeah, if, if if it's a chop block, that's different. Like you say, engage. I don't like that. Now that should be banned in all in all levels of sports, high school, college, and pros. But here's the other thing about a cut block. When you're coming up and a receiver cuts you, hey man, that that it it boils your blood immediately. But I will tell you, you better work on trying to figure out how to get out that cut block. All it takes is one or two times that you eliminate that guy from cutting you like that, he won't do it again. There's a technique that you use that I used to use, and we were taught this. You take the head and the shoulder and you separate it. So when that guy goes low, you take the head and you take the shoulder and you separate it. I guarantee you he won't cut you too many more times. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't follow. I don't understand what you mean. Head so when he when he takes his head down to, to block you, you have this and you have this. You take it and you separate it. I guarantee you, he will never cut you again. So you push him on the back of the neck. Is that what you're doing? You take the side of his head, take the side of his head, and you take the shoulder and you separate. Oh, and he won't ever cut you again. Oh wow. Okay, I got, I got you. By I the way, Fred. Yeah, go, go, Caleb, go. Just a quick history story because I've been blasphemous all week and I'm going to be blasphemous again today because they're in, I'm ready for the Bammer fans to come at me. College football banned the chop block in 1980. Bear Bryant's mm-hmm. last national title was 1979 when he was running the wishbone offense. Bear Bryant would have been nothing without the chop block. Y'all come at me. Come at me. Come at me. Wow. <laughs> I didn't play in the era. Yeah, I <laughs> I'm just, I just, I'm just, I just felt like I triggered some Alabama fans today. So, you know. <laughs> Fred, um, you and I have talked about air quotes hazing, which I, I want to get into a little bit because we talked about it. What your football team did was very light hazing. Um, but before we get into what occurred in in the '98 team in the mid '90s. As far as hazing, um, what is over the line? Because you have Northwestern who has gone from a program that, even though he was not a great coach, he was 111 last year, but he was their guy. He had been there for like 11 years, and Pat Fitzgerald wasn't going anywhere. And then, boom, he's suspended. And then, boom, he's fired. What crosses the line in hazing? Everything they did crosses the line in hazing. <laughs> Everything they did crosses the line in hazing. Hey, man, I'm being honest with you when I say this. I couldn't have went to Northwestern because I would have lasted one day. They would have had my mom come pick me up immediately. Yeah, there was all kinds of weird sexual uh, innuendo yeah, stuff. Because the on. first person who would have came at me with that situation, it would have been a bad day for them. I promise you that. That's not something that, I, and you know, we've had this conversation as, you know, football guys, former guys. We're sitting there like, who stayed? Why would you even stay at a school like that? That would have never, they would have never had a football team. My signing class in 95, you would have never got a, not one of our guys would have stayed. Not one. We've had that conversation. No, not one guy would have stayed. I mean, it literally would have got, it would have been the freshman class against everybody else pretty much. Because that wouldn't have worked for us. No, and and how does that? And it's I don't really want to get into the specifics of it, but 
whose job is it to police that? Because you guys did so much policing on your own, but at some point mm-hmm. the head coach is responsible, right? Yeah, you're responsible for that. You know what's going on. You know things that are happening on your, you know, in your locker rooms. If you don't, you you shouldn't even be the head coach if that's, if that's the case. How do you not know the beat of what's going on in your locker room? You mean to tell me not one player ever came up to to the coach and said, hey, man, they tried to get me to do such and such? No. I mean, our thing was we threw guys in the, in the cold tub. Right. No. So I want you to get to that. Yeah, so go ahead. And and so, cold tub to ice bath. And and when, once you – when you're a freshman, you probably – most guys had – you know, back then we hadn't even been in the cold tub. We didn't, we didn't know what a cold tub was. So they, you know – but now you understand that the cold tub actually helps revive your body from pain and all that other stuff. So it was literally – I remember coming into the locker room and I got stopped at the door. Actually, I'm walking into the complex after practice, and Bubba Miller, I'm going to tell the full story, walks up to me, and he's coming towards me. He's about 10 yards from me, and he points at me, and he says, you go, by, you go willingly or you go by force? And I was like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He was like, if you make me run, it's going to be bad for you. And I just stopped. I was like, what is going on? He said, you're going in the cold tub. So I just took my helmet off, took my shoulder pass off, and I just gave myself up. He picks me up and throws me over his shoulder, a few slaps on the butt on the way in, and he tosses me in the cold tub. I actually sat there for a minute because it felt great. <laughs> if once you get used to ice baths, it's the best recuperation. When I did CrossFit, yes. which I'm not comparing, it's the best recuperation you can do, but it takes a couple of times to get used to. Oh, yeah, but it's it's a lot of, you know, you got to go through the gauntlet. They're going to smack your butt and those type of things. But, hey, man, it's, it, it's the game. It, it wasn't trying to hurt nobody or harm anyone. But, like, if they had to wrestle you to the ground to take you out, take you back, it probably meant, it probably looked, seemed a little different. But that, that cold tub actually felt good after you went in it. I mean, that was, that was part of our hazing, that you had to go in the cold tub. Anybody who was a new coach or you got a promotion, as a coach or <laughs> a freshman or a guy who transfers in, if you it's your first year with us, you're going to the cold tub. And we just get to pick you up and throw you in the water. That's it. You know, the weirdest part about it, too, is, okay, so I want to describe it a little bit. So basically it was called running at Northwestern, and they would dry hump them. I never thought I would say that. No. <laughs> okay. That, it's well, not going to work. Now, Not in, a, work. in a dark locker room, actually, I've I've heard it worse at the high school level, and I almost reported it, but it I don't. It's disgusting. I don't want to get mm-hmm. into it. But so a player would be restrained, and then they'd have these uh, purge like masks, and then they dry hump, and it's just weird. But the other weird part about that was almost as weird as that is they would do it around the holidays, so they would have runs giving and runsmas around Thanksgiving and Christmas. If you're going to haze somebody just like the the ice tub thing, you get that out of the way and you make sure they're a part of the team for their freshman season. I mean, dragging on to Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's bizarre. You know, the one thing I thought I I appreciate with Coach Fulman was that they saw it. Some of the coaches were walking in the locker room to make sure it wasn't out of hand. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And – when it was done, it was done. Coach for okay, everybody's gone in. It's over. That's it. And then he walks out of the locker room. You know what I mean? Or whoever the coach was that was in that locker room, hey, that's it. We're done. 
And it was fun because and funny because people were like, man, that, that water was cold, you know. And it was just you you kind of knew you were part of the team, and that's your initiation. Okay, you go in the cold tub. And that was it. We're not trying to beat up our teammates. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, why why would I want to beat up my team? I don't want to be your team if you tried to beat me up. All I'm thinking about at that point is trying to get you back. Yeah. So and, and Caleb, I, I want you to jump in here, but Mr. Jones said, do people pee in the cold tub? Um, no. no. If they did, <laughs> if they, let me tell you something. Well, it's physically impossible because my little friend <laughs> runs somewhere out west because it is so cold you cannot possibly urinate. I mean, it is – yeah, let's just say I'm not real proud of myself when I'm no. in the ice mm-hmm. tub and I you know, try to warm up as soon as possible before somebody perhaps uh, – He's my little buddy. Who's very and cold. if that person, if somebody did that and then put somebody in the cold tub, I promise you that person right there would not be a part of our team no more. I think most of the tent guys on the team would have would have got on him. Yeah, it's he, it would have really turned into a hazing event. Yeah, that's that's gross and difficult to do if you've ever tried to. Yeah, <laughs> it would really turn into a hazing. What's wrong with my bladder and other things? Go ahead, Caleb. If you like to talk about your private parts. No, I would not. <laughs> Go right ahead. You guys are hilarious. I would let let let's talk about hookers. <laughs> um, I was uh, thinking about this. I'm like, it's funny, Fred. You were at Tennessee when the movie The Titanic came out, and I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe Tennessee football, Tennessee football team. They y'all could have survived the Titanic. He's all be handling the cold ice tubs. <laughs> we didn't stay on there that long, though. <laughs> no, okay, look, we didn't stay on there that long. No. Yeah, and, and by the way, that chick could have made room for Leonardo DiCaprio on that piece of wood. There was room. She just let him die and drop to the bottom of the sea. That was wrong. He also she got was- back on the. She also got back on the boat, which, by the way, and just lessons in emergencies. I've talked to emergency responders. If you're safe, don't run back into danger. You make everybody else's job hard when you do that, okay? Like, if you're safe, stay safe. <laughs> she was definitely, that's, as Rocky Top Tom says, that's, that's probably the best the thing to do. Yeah, yeah. People like to, I cover fire stores, where people like to run in to try to save their family member, and the firefighters are like, we were going to save them, but now we have to save you and them, which makes it harder. And so it's like that, that. Well, that depends. Sometimes they, you know, it's hard to say. My mom's sitting up there in the window and no one's moving. I don't know if I'm not going. I'm not, I don't know if I'm just going to stand there and just wait for them to go. Well, you're gonna move when I tell you to move, or I'm going to move for you. <laughs> uh, Fred, speaking of cold, I actually want to circle back because you brought up something that I've been talking about a lot. I've actually been talking about this all week, and I think it's kind of unique that Joe Milton gets a big game in November this year, because as you talked about, when you guys played, you talked about how y'all wish y'all could play Florida later in the year for y'all, obviously November would roll around and the gauntlet of your schedule was over. Like all the brutal teams are like on the first half of your schedule. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've actually made the case that I think that's one of the things I'm not saying it's the only thing, but I actually think it's one of the things that caused Peyton Manning to Heisman was that he didn't have a meaningful November game. Do you think that, having meaningful November games is much better for teams as a whole. I mean, I don't care when I play you. We can play the first day of the season. We can play the middle of the season, play the last game of the season. It don't matter. 
You just got to win the game, plain and simple. I mean, you got to win the game regardless. So it don't really matter when you put me on your schedule. You just win. That's it. But and, I will- and, and and for for Peyton, you had the SEC championship. I mean, that's, well, a, a lot that's of voters, one of the biggest games there is. A lot of voters during that time, I know this having read some history, a lot of voters didn't believe that conference championship games should be a factor because not all teams played conference championship games during that time. Like, remember, you guys had to play it, but Michigan didn't have to play it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and, so, and, but I think for us, the SEC, I bet I bet Michigan and Ohio State and the Big Ten wish they were doing the same thing we were doing at the same time because they're so far behind us now. That's a good point. So I think it I think it played out better for us than it did for them. I will say this though, to Caleb's point, let's take the Georgia win in '97 or take any the Alabama win in '97. Take any of those you want. That happens in November. I bet you Peyton Manning has a Heisman Trophy on his mantle. I don't know if that's the case. Really? No, I don't. I love Peyton Manning to death, and I think he could have won the Heisman. I should, you know, I, I sit back and I think about this all the time. But I, I also look at it and say, man, I'm gonna Charles Wilson didn't do bad in the big games, man. I mean, he made plays where that if he don't make those plays, they don't win the game. Now. I look at the Heisman now and I say it's gone to more offensive players. There'll never be another defensive player gets get close. It may not even be another running back that wins it because of the way the game has changed. It's going to be a quarterback almost every time or a receiver, and that's going to be it. And I don't like the fact that that's the case. So sometimes the best player on the football field is not the quarterback or a receiver. I mean – I look back now and I go, some of the best running backs that ever played the game in college didn't win a Heisman. You look at Marshall Falk, did not win a Heisman. Mm-hmm. You look at um, uh, from Oklahoma, I can't remember his name right now, but didn't win a Heisman. Like, how did they not win the Heisman? They were the best football players in college football those years. But it was it's more so now a quarterback position now do i think peyton should have won Heisman? i do but can i take away anything away from charles wilson and what he did i don't know if i can i mean the guy had a punt return against michigan and an interception that's the biggest game of the season for them and play against penn state he catches a one-handed interception against penn state to seal the game that was nasty too that was a nasty you know game. i mean so you go back and you look at the games he did put up a lot of points. I mean, he did. He, he put up. He made game-changing uh, plays. I can't knock what he did. He's a Hall of Famer in the NFL too. So I can't go back and say, "Ah, oh, well, he he didn't. He should not have even been close." Hey, man, he he had a heck of a year that year. Now, now, don't get me wrong. He got more media coverage because of where he went to school, but he did. He had a heck of a season. He got more media coverage, and also ESPN wanted to drum up a more of a a debate, and they wanted a real race because it looked like Peyton was going to run away with it. I know that from people at ESPN. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. like they did Ron Dane that year, if like a couple Mm -hmm. weeks before Charles Woods, they would push guys, and I don't think they thought that Peyton was actually going to lose it. No, they didn't. But 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 he did, and then. but that's 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 interesting. Now, let me ask you this though. Didn't mean to get sidetracked on this, but if you stack Champ Bailey's numbers up next to 
Charles Woodson, Bailey's numbers are better. Mm-hmm. Who's a better player in college and overall, in your opinion? That's a tough one. I Charles think- Woodson is a Hall of Famer. Right, but just college. Just college. Charles Woodson made those plays at the opportune time on national TV to win games. Camp Bailey did them in the middle of games. It wasn't the deciding factor of games. You look at Charles Wilson's punt return in that Michigan game and an interception, and he also caught a pass for a touchdown in another game that helped him win the game. Like, he could go both ways. I think both of them are great football players. I just think Charles Wilson sees the moment when the, when the cameras were watching in the biggest moments of the games. So do you think, Fred, if those plays, those same plays, and Michigan was still that good, but if those plays happened in the first quarter or less meaningful games, but Michigan still... I don't think, I don't think Charles Wilson wins the Heisman if that's the case. I think the reason why they made a case for him because it was game changing and it was moments where he had to make a play and, or, you know, if he didn't make those plays, they may not have won those games. Man, I could. That, that's, that's, that's the only reason why I think it was so, if you do it in the middle of a game and it's not in the fourth quarter to seal the game, it's not as big of, it's a big play, but it's not as big of a play. Everybody remembers it because it won the game or it was close to making the game, you know, it was, it decided the game almost. You know what I mean? That made the difference for why it was such a major play. For, for instance, who remembers that Jacob Eason threw a 60-yard touchdown pass right before Josh Dobbs threw a Hail Mary? Nobody remembers that. Nobody, nobody remembers his name. Or the receiver who caught that ball. I don't, I don't know. Right they remember the that Josh Dobbs threw a pass and Jawan Jennings catches it in the, as a Hail Mary. Nobody remembers the other part of it. That's the biggest player of the game. It won it. That's why Charles Wilson won the Heisman. He made those type of plays. It sealed man, games. I, man, I and it was on it. national TV. That's the only reason why I think he won the Heisman. But I think overall, I think Peyton had a better year than anybody in college football that year. Charles Wilson just still having to seize the moment when it counted on TV. Fred, well, I think I, it was – I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's funny because looking back, I think um, – I, I I actually – yeah, look, if, depending on how the standards are year to year, I would actually not have a problem with Woodson winning the Heisman. I think what bothers a lot of Tennessee fans is they feel like the standards and the criteria changed overnight when Peyton Manning was there. It, it because, did, and that's what we feel. Like literally yeah, because, during the year, mm-hmm. overnight's yeah, a great it did. Because yeah. the year before, Danny Warfel lost to Florida State 20 to 3 – or 20 to 17, but it was a, that, that regular season game. You know what I'm talking about where Florida mm-hmm. – really got blown out and came back late. And then mm-hmm. Danny Wolf got the Heisman. Eddie George, two years before, lost to Michigan in his final game and got the Heisman. They got the Heisman. And it just felt like, oh, now all of a sudden you're going to hold this. He didn't beat his rival against Peyton Manning. But you didn't hold it against Eddie George, and you didn't hold it against Danny Warfel. And it did change. It changed. And I feel like the media helped Woodson win the championship. But I, like I said – I can't take away what he did because he did it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, how do you take away the fact that he had a punt return and an interception against Michigan? Biggest game of the season for them. The same thing against 
a one-handed interception on the sideline of Penn State. I mean, like, how do you how do you take those things away from him? You know what I mean? I, I can't say he wasn't worthy of the Heisman. I just feel like Peyton should have won it. I, I, I didn't mean to get sidetracked, and I know you got to go. Uh, again, Fred White, Allstate, but this was an interesting comment by Tom. Uh, Peyton Manning is one of the top ten players in football of all time. Woodson was great, but not that great. Um, uh, he's a Hall of Famer in the NFL. Yeah, he's that's great. Yeah. yeah, to me, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. When you make he's the a Hall of Famer in the NFL, he's great. If you you don't make it to the Hall of Fame and not be great, I don't know oh, one. Yeah. I don't know one player in the Hall of Fame that's not great. Not one. No, I agree. So you can't say that. And I don't know about you. When Eli Manning Fred, goes, there will be. Sorry, I'm a hater. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, Fred, but I I think that uh, as far as defensive backs and especially cornerbacks, it's. Dion, and then there's a step down of everybody else. What do you mm-hmm. do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Dion Sanders is the greatest cornerback to ever play, DB to ever play the game, hands yes. down, without question. Yeah, it's interesting. Good stuff, Fred. With that, they don't know anything about football. <laughs> Did give up 192 yards to Michael Irvin in the 95 NFC Championship game. anti-Dion chair yesterday. I love Fred. Thanks, Fred. You have all Fred White Allstate. You'll be in good hands, and we will talk to you soon. The Dante Stallworth thing is up, and why Dante Stallworth and Leonard Scott would whisper to themselves, "Oh man, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to cover Florida State's receivers." Why? Because Tennessee's receivers were better than Peter Warwick and Bernie's goals. I'm not going to say they were better. They just did a great job of being better than them the week we needed them to be. <laughs> It's, it's an incredible story. <laughs> All right, and it's up there. Celebrate 98 brought to you by Tennessee Cider Company. TNCiderCompany.com. Use the promo code HAT. Get some free swag with any order. Uh, thanks to our friend Aaron, and uh, that's via Off Dog Sports. Fred, have a uh, blessed weekend, sir. I- I'm going to take a second to tell you that I can't thank you enough for the – uh, help that you gave me in the uh, Celebrate 98 book that's uh, coming out. The writing part's done. It's just a layout thing now, but I feel like I've given birth to a baby that I never want to see again. And <laughs> because it's been a lot of work, none of it, none of it would have been even close to possible without you. I am forever indebted. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. And I know one day you return the favor when I write my book. <laughs> Buddy, I'm, I'm I'm all in you know if you want to co-author uh, I've already got some ideas uh, that we can work together on so yeah uh we were meant to it's, work it's coming it's coming Dave we know it it's coming I gotta write that I gotta I, I got a few things I want to want to put in a book oh, yeah, so we start, we I'm start looking to, forward to it we can start our own production company it could be white hooker productions white <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you with that. Have a Thank you, Fred. My mom might not approve that name, but I. I okay. Or one time I thought I had this. I when I have ideas, I just throw them out there, and sometimes they're stupid. And I said, Fred, we could do a bit called the White Way back when we were doing radio, and Fred just goes, Nah. <laughs> 
it wasn't even a discussion and i just moved on and i remember john adams was sitting there and he said later he goes that was a pretty dumb idea <laughs> fred have spot on spot on impersonation of john yeah <laughs> fred have a blessed day we appreciate you and have a great weekend sir you two guys man go balls and off the hook sports Talk to you guys later, baby. He's Fred White. We will talk Greg Sankey contract extension after this a production of White Hooker Sports. Not really. <laughs> Have a stay tuned. Sankey gets some cash after this. Sun, sand, and salt water. The beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we wanna be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. When you want a hard cider that's easy to enjoy, one that's crafted to perfection, you need Tennessee Cider Company. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. With a selection of ciders free to sample, all it takes is one taste. Visit TNCiderCompany.com for more information, as well as to shop our ciders and merchandise online. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. Uh, who's this guy? Hello, wizard! The Dave Hooker Show, Ooh. a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. I embrace the fact that I'm not hip at times. I remember one time we, Fred and I were interviewing. I can't remember somebody. Maybe it was the basketball player that that rapped Orlando Woolridge's song. Orlando Woolridge, yeah. Yeah, and I said, how about you do a little freelance? And everybody got quiet, and uh, Fred's looking at me, and nobody knows what's going on, and he goes, it's, it's freestyle. And I said, oh, my bad. Freelance is when I write for somebody on the side. Freestyle is different. How unhip did that make me look? 
Uh, well, I'm the one who had to tell you that the Eric Berry song was actually an original Hurricane Chris song. That, uh, but never that knew a, that. I mean, that was in an era where uh, freestyling wasn't that hard. I love that era of rap music. Don't get me wrong, but it's some of the worst lyrical ability of rappers of all time. Okay, I mean, I, Soldier Boy, Hurricane Chris. I mean, I listen to them uh, all the time, but Waka Flocka, but they were terrible rappers. <laughs> um. Tennessee Junior said I'd buy that uh, tea if we went with a white hooker production. I don't think we're going to do that, but uh, perhaps I will uh, hook somebody up with a shirt. Uh, TN Junior, do you have a shirt yet? Because I got some hooker shirts to give away. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, Rocky Top Tom says anyone who has any credible taste in music despises rap music. I'm not going to go that far, and I don't want to get Caleb started because I do listen to me some Jay Z when I hit the gym. I'm My head's about to explode with Rocky. There's a lot of bad. Okay, I will say this: pop country and rap music has more bad than any other genre of music. Would you agree with that? Well, yes, because both of them are about putting on like an image more than actually the music at this point. So it's like trying to portray an image. And that's kind of the annoying thing because most of them aren't about that life. You know, this most country singers now did not grow up redneck at all, but they try to pretend they did. Just like most rappers didn't grow up in the hood. They were the ones, you know, sitting in creative writing class doing well. And so that's, I'm with you on that. It's so much about projecting an image now that it is actual, like what it was about when it started, both original country and original rap rights outlaw music. So uh, TN Jr. reminded me that I didn't get him a shirt from way back. And so I'm going to do that. There's my email. Email me. And the uh, merchandising distribution department, which is known as my wife, will be thoroughly tongue-lashed for not getting you that uh, shirt out. So we'll take care of that. I apologize. Um, things definitely slipped between the cracks in year one. So that happened. Not a lot, but... Something Dang, stop with the innuendos, tongue lash, slip between the cracks. Sorry, sorry. Wow, wow, you just got, that just went. We went from white hooker, which is kind of racy, to I don't know what you just did. Wow, even my thoughts on, and I'm not the only one. Oh man, all right, I didn't even mean to do that. I don't need to hear about you tongue lashing your wife. Today's tough question. Let's move (laughs) along. Today's tough question is brought to you by our friend Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Caleb's got the giggles. Uh, Andymasonrealestate.com. I will, um, Travis, his daughter, turn it off. All right. Snap and clear. Today's tough question is now. It's brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. Greg Sankey got some cash. How much? Contract extension. Let's get into it. Was he worth it? It's brought to you by andymasonrealestate.com. Andy Mason, best service and prices in East Tennessee when it comes to a realtor. Andy Mason is fantastic. I love him to death. And he will take care of you. About to make a real estate move, andymasonrealestate.com. You can fill out the form or call him. You'll be taken care of. So what did Greg Sankey get cash-wise? And we'll be talking to him next week. And we look forward to that at SEC Media Days. 
sink you with some more cash and contract extension. What did he get, Caleb Calhoun? Let's lay it out there, and then we'll discuss whether or not he's worth it. So Greg Sankey got a contract extension through 2028. He's in his ninth year as being SEC commissioner, and he's 58 years old, funny enough. I don't think he got any pay raise or anything like that. It's just they extended his contract. Um, I'm trying to pull up the actual report on how much he's making, but I'm having a hard time finding that. I, I guess I, I guess theoretically the SEC doesn't have to disclose that. But, yeah, basically he's in there through 2028 and – I think personally, Dave, this has to do with more about what he did during COVID. Greg Sankey, and I give him credit for this. Greg Sankey, Greg, Greg Sankey stood firm during COVID and had a season and said, look, these players are healthy. They're not at risk. As long as we take proper precautions, we can get a full season there. And he pulled it off. And I give him a lot of credit for that. I do think it's easier when you're in the SEC versus the Big Ten where the weather's warmer and all the data was out that COVID doesn't travel as much in warm weather as it does in cold weather. But I give him credit for that. But I think he's I think he's riding on that a lot because I think he's made a few – ever since that COVID season ended, he's made quite a few missteps, if I'm going to be honest. Okay, well, we can get into the missteps, but as a whole, I would give him an absolute – crazy positive review on what he's done you you give him credit for the covid season and navigating that that's unprecedented and probably never going to happen again but we haven't even mentioned the word texas and oklahoma because with texas and oklahoma caleb that 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 made them in that cemented the sec into the super conference with the big 10 i think just short of that but they're two because they have to go all the way across the country. I think Sankey's done an absolutely fantastic job sometimes. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. I get the feeling that you think he's just uh, done. Okay. We can talk about what he's done wrong, but we're talking about two reverse windmill slam dunks and getting Texas and Oklahoma and handling COVID. So anything else he's done, not nitpicking, but I think Pell's in comparison to what he's done from a positive perspective you okay reverse windmill slam dunk for covid yes i can't do that with okay getting texas and oklahoma nba reference that's like when people who try to say jerry west is a great gm and they say well he signed Shaq." well who wouldn't have signed Shaq when they were when they were the gm of the lakers at the time and so okay. i mean okay well i see where you're going if they come to you you would sign him but you know roy I kramer and I both agree they came to him I agree, but Roy Kramer was a very conservative uh, commissioner who I think did a good job in putting a BCS together so we could stack teams and not have split champions forever and ever. But I don't know that he would have taken Texas and Oklahoma because I, I interviewed him about the potential for a college football playoff and he hated it. I don't know that he would have done those sorts of things. So while it seems like a slam dunk, we're not that removed about 20 years or so from when the SEC might have been conservative and said, nah, Texas and Oklahoma, you're not for us. Things are going good. That sounds crazy now, right? But I don't I don't know that Kramer would have taken it. College football was different 20 years ago. One, Agreed. Texas, Texas would, I think Roy Kramer, if he had stayed commissioner to now, would have understanding the changing landscape of college football. During that time, there was still – during that time for conferences – 
there was limited amount of national TV exposure. So, I mean, not limited, but it was less than it is now. And so you, you, what you, you, you didn't want to have too many teams at a conference during that time because you wanted to make sure as many of you, uh, a high, the highest percentage of your games possible could get nationally televised. And the more teams you have, the harder it is to fill those slots. Well, now with the networks and things like that, and now streaming is coming, there's plenty of national slots to fill. So, and also I think now brand size matters more. So I just think that, I just think things have changed a lot. It's, you know, even look, Mike Slive, I thought made a great move at the time getting Missouri and Texas A&M. Rest in peace, Mike Slive. But I think if Mike Slive were alive in commissioner today, I don't think he would have Missouri now. That was at a time when TV markets mattered. And I think he wanted the St. Louis and Kansas City markets. I think if he had a choice now, he would think back and go, yeah, maybe I should have added West Virginia, which wanted to be in the SEC at that point. And so I think that. Yeah. So, okay. So we we would agree, right, that since the 90s, Let's start at 92 when they added Arkansas and South Carolina, that the SEC has trended upwards the entire time since the early 90s when things started to get – we didn't know that we're getting weird, weird, but you started adding teams. So I think you would agree that it's trended upwards, right? Yeah, it has. Okay. And it's, I mean, it, I think it's a great product, though. I think managing the SEC right now is like being commissioner of the NFL. You don't have to do much to be successful in the I, NFL. I, you, you've said that before. I respectfully disagree because, yes, Texas and Oklahoma came to them. And I, I want you to lay out the, the issues you've had with the Sankey. But first, let's talk about trending upwards. You had Roy Kramer, who did not want a playoff to happen. And you had Mike Slive, again, rest in peace, who wanted to play the TV market game. And we've learned in retrospect that's not the right game to play. So those are two pretty significant knocks on those commissioners. I don't see that with Sankey. I don't see a significant knock to the point that they're any more dire than that. Now, where do you go as far as issues that you've disagreed with Sankey on? Okay, so issues I've disagreed. Let's start with, well, to defend Mike Slide when he did the TV market thing, you got to remember that was to get the SEC network launched and off the ground. And he did that. And the SEC network, even as markets are changing, is still very valuable. That's a valuable commodity that's part of the SEC. And so I actually give okay, my... But I, but I don't think it's because of Missouri. I don't th- think people in St. Louis, that TV market, are like, oh, I got to see Missouri football. No, I don't. It wasn't. But it helped the SEC negotiate a good deal because even though people in St. Louis weren't like that, networks were like that because at the time networks only thought well tv markets and so okay but that's like having another kid because you need help with chores around the house i mean that i mean that to me do you see what i'm saying i mean you don't take in you don't make a major shift to help with a little tv money but spearheading the sec network has to count for something and he did oh i agree i i think they've all been very good i think they've all been ace Roy Kramer made the move, by the way, speaking of getting ahead of the curve, he did the SEC on CBS deal. Roy Kramer, that is the first step that really made the SEC the dominant towering over every other conference in college football was the SEC was the first to have its own network deal. No other conference had that. And that was Roy Kramer thinking way ahead. And that's, I got to give him credit. Now with Greg Sankey, I got to say that Sankey, I think he was caught flat-footed getting Texas and Oklahoma. And he had already negotiated his deal with ESPN. And he negotiated a 10-year deal. And then te- and then the Big Ten goes and adds USC and UCLA, and they negotiate a 
seven-year deal worth twice as much money. And I'm thinking, and the Big Ten made the risky move of, all right, well, there might be some contract violations when we do this, but we'll hash out the contracts later because we got $7 billion in the pocket, and that's worth it. I actually think that was kind of smart for them. I think the SEC was so mad at, if you remember, the SEC was stuck in a bad deal with CBS that, by the way, is a knock on Mike's life. That was not Greg Sinke's fault. This, this was their most recent contract re-up negotiations 10, 12 years ago. They should have gotten demanded more from CBS. And they were so desperate to get out of that, they just quickly jumped in ESPN and they got and they launched with ESPN and ABC. So that was kind of my big issue. My other issue is it didn't seem like he had the troops in line ready to go when it came to scheduling plans. And that really showed in the Destin meetings. Okay, so uh, let me ask you this question because we got to get to the uh, uh, top coach, top jobs in college football. It's easy for me to say a column that's on offthugsports.com. But let me ask you this. Um, Caleb, what are your what are your major knocks against Sankey? Those two, I think. I think Sankey. I don't think Sankey is forward thinking in negotiations. I think Sankey is forward thinking in in logistics, which is why he was able to pull the COVID thing off. That's the logistic thing. He's very good at hashing out details and you know making sure he's on top of everything. I don't think he's forward thinking in negotiations. And I think okay, that's if my you were to give him an academic grade A to F. Over his tenure, what would you give him? Right now, I'm going C. It was an eight. Okay, Texas, Oklahoma. You bring in Texas, Oklahoma, and you navigate COVID. A for A for COVID. Nothing for Texas, Oklahoma. They fell into his lap. They fell out of the sky into his lap. There are there are ads. I mean, there are commissioners not that long ago that wouldn't have taken Texas and Oklahoma. And yes, but in a different time in a different environment of college football. I don't, we don't know that Sankey would have taken Texas and Oklahoma back in 2005. It's just a totally different thought. Okay. I would give him an A easy and I'm, I'm close to an A plus, but we can agree to uh, disagree. Well, we might disagree on this next topic as well. And it's brought to you by city heating and air conditioning, city heat and air.com. It's on off the right now. The 10 best coaching jobs uh, that that are out there. And where does Tennessee rank? And it's brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. And I'll tell you one thing. Your unit may not need to be replaced, just might need a part or some coolant. That's where City Heating and Air Conditioning comes in. 50 years of integrity in Knoxville, cityheatandair.com. Tennessee, you've got at the bottom half of the of your list of the best coaching jobs uh, right now, the 10 best college football power five head coaching jobs, and you've got them at the bottom half. Run me through your list and tell me why. Well, let's start with why Tennessee's in the bottom half before we get to where they fall. Okay, but let's be fair. Bottom half, these are still top 10 jobs in college football. So oh, yeah. it's it's, it's – yeah, so uh, I have Tennessee not in the top half. The thing holding them back the most is just they're just not in a fertile recruiting area. I mean, it's they're not in a state where they can just – they can't just stay in their state and build a championship team. And that's that's where I would say Tennessee's in the bottom half. They got a lot of other factors going their way. I mean, they have the best NIL initiative in college football right now, and that's a huge advantage to have that initiative. They're uniquely located to be able to pluck guys out of Georgia, South Carolina, the Carolinas, and Alabama. And these things make them a top 10 job. But they are not 
And also a big advantage for Tennessee, and this is the thing that matters, competition in your state. Tennessee has, even though there's not great in-state recruiting, Tennessee at least doesn't have any competition for their in-state. Vanderbilt and Memphis are not threats to get top talent in the state of Tennessee. They they go to Tennessee usually. So let's go through this list. And I, I'm, I'm going to play a little uh, hey now or heck no. And as far as better coaching jobs than Tennessee, you've got number one LSU. Hey now. I'd have to agree with that with the in-state talent. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, you can still win at Tennessee, you can, but in-state talent at the end of the day is covering recruiting like I have. I'm going to more often times side with that than not. Georgia. Competition, competition for in-state talent. There's no other Power 5 school in the state of Louisiana or with, within hundreds of miles of LSU, quite honestly. Absolutely. Georgia, different because there is competition, but incredible in-state talent. I agree. Hank Hainsley, Hensley, what do you say? Hey now. Hank agrees. All right. Ohio State, better job. That's crazy. Here's why I say it's not a better job because it's in the Big Ten, and I think it, just by the nature of being in the South that you're going to be able to recruit better talent in the South. But I definitely see your argument, and I think you would be in the majority there. Yeah, Ohio State's a better job. First of all, you make it sound like being in the SEC makes it a better job. That means you got more competition. Ohio State's an easy job because they can lock off – by the way – Ohio is the one, Ohio and California are the two non-Southern states that compete with Southern states for NFL talent. I mean, look at the amount, and Pennsylvania too, but look at the amount of talent that comes out of Ohio into the NFL. And Ohio State competes with nobody for that talent. I mean, let's be honest, Dave. Michigan, it's like Oklahoma goes into Texas and gets talent. Michigan doesn't come into Ohio and get talent. They are second, they are a clear-cut second fiddle to Ohio. They get Ohio State rejects, quite honestly. They have to go to Pennsylvania before Ohio State. And... That's why I have Ohio State. Okay. Southern California. That's crazy. I'm not taking Southern California as a better job than Tennessee because of the kids that I've covered there. It's not football is not as big of a deal. Even take if you want to take Nico, he also placed a big importance in volleyball, which some people wanted to say was a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing because he was supportive of his of his team. And I agree. I, I think that's awesome. But I don't think those kids in Southern California care about football nearly as much. I don't think it's a live or die thing. And I think that uh, Southern California is is now in the Big Ten. I think the travel issues are going to be significant. So maybe I would have taken them when they could just dominate the Pac-12, but I'm not taking them now that they're in the Big Ten over Tennessee. Thoughts? I am. Um, and I, I look – I've covered Tennessee recruiting and I've covered other recruit. And I remember USC recruiting in the mid two thousands, Tennessee recruited great in the nineties, USC recruited right on that level in the mid two thousands under Pete Carroll. And they didn't have to leave the state. And quite honestly, it's even going to be easier for them now because they just let, if you're a kid in California and you want to stay in California, you might've considered Cal or Stanford in the past. You're not considering them anymore with USC and the big 10. And with UCLA, and by the way, between the two, you're picking USC. So, yeah. It's, so, and, and their NIL initiative is pretty big, too. Yeah. So, how about, well, obviously, they were able to pull the Blitnikoff winner in 2021 over, and 
not to mention a guy named Caleb Williams as well. I mean, they just instantly set up shop via college football free agency. Um, what about Alabama? Hey now. I think it's a better job. I think it was debatable before Nick Saban, debatable. But I think it's a better job because of in-state talent. More tradition than Tennessee, even though that at some point has to hit a tipping point where you've got so much tradition. How much more do you need? But yes, tradition will- doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it matters. It matters in how you built a program. I mean, look at if you went and looked at TCU's facilities, they're not at the same point as Tennessee's because of lack of tradition and giving and and donations over years. So maybe but I'm tying two together, if that makes sense. Yeah, I factor donor base more than tradition. But you're right, tradition builds the donor base. So I guess that's fair. You don't have the donor base without the tradition. I would say with Alabama, I kind of disagree even before Nick Saban, because here's my thing. When you have a bad coach and when you're a program in trouble, can you still be good? Let's just compare it to Derek Dooley had three straight losing seasons at Tennessee. Mike Shula, who I think you and I would agree was probably on the level of Derek Dooley as a coach, right? About, about the same type of coach. Pretty good comparison. Yeah. Mike Shula still managed to have a 10 and two season at Alabama and finish in the top 10. Yeah. I mean, even if you're a bad coach, you can get a top 10 year at Alabama. Ask Mike DeBose. <laughs> have I told you my uh, Mike Shula? I got a P story before. No, Mike Shula walks in SEC media days. I'm the first guy that's standing there because I knew kind of where to be to interview them one on one. And I say, Hey, Mike, it's uh, Dave Hooker um, within, I guess, WNML or whatever it was, WNOX. And I said, uh, Do you have a minute? And um, his sports information guy goes, Yeah, yeah, you can go ahead and do this quick one uh, here with Dave. And uh, Mike Shula goes, Where's the restroom? And he was so blown away by 500 people waiting there. And also it was in Birmingham. So you had a lot of Alabama people too. He was just blown away. It was like, where can I escape? Give me a urinal, please. Uh, He also complained about Smokey biting an Alabama player. I remember that one, but yes, Texas A&M, a better job than Tennessee. That's crazy. I know why you're going to say it's a better job, but it's not because you have to compete with the next school on the list, and that's Texas. Why is Texas A&M a great job? It's got the third largest NIL initiative, or second largest, just behind Tennessee. And if you divide, there were only three schools now that legitimately compete for Texas talent, Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas A&M. Well, if you divide the NFL players from Texas by three, they're still more than Tennessee players. So even, so, I mean, that, that's the thing. There, there's so much talent in Texas to go around. And I would have disagreed. Stupid. Yeah, it's stupid crazy. Yeah. Now, back when the, they were all in the Big 12, it was one thing, because, you know, TCU could adequately compete and things like that. They're not competing with Texas and Texas A&M when they're in the SEC, though. No, no you're right. All right, uh, how about Texas? A better job. Hey, now. See, I would take Texas over Texas uh, Texas A&M and Tennessee because they are the state school. There was a time where I thought A&M could overcome them, and maybe they did for a brief little moment. But I think when we look at it over the course of 100 years, we would all say that Texas is the better program, right? They're the better program, not the better job right now. One, Texas a and is in East Texas, so they're actually uniquely positioned where the football talent is where University of Texas is, is not where the football talent is in that state. All right. So then you've got Tennessee at number eight. I'm your huckleberry. Why? 
So the biggest advantages for Tennessee, like I said, is they have the number one NIL initiative. They have no competition for in-state recruiting. And their in-state talent is not terrible. I mean, it's still one of the better states in the country. It's just one of the worst states in the SEC. <laughs> so that's what makes it a little difficult. But I still don't think it. But I, it's still a really good job with NIL and then the, the talent you can get around you. All right. UCF, you've got it number nine. And I don't know if you're just trying to gig me or not, but it sounds like. That's crazy. All right. You ready for this? All right. I'm going to break this down. UCF is in a Power Five conference. Florida is a is a dominant, dominant football state with recruiting. But Florida State and Miami, they're about to fall off the map because there's no way. I don't care about that stupid CW deal you guys want to tell me about with the ACC. Okay, there was no way with the so budgets that's that. A, that's an absolute embarrassment. I don't want to get sidetracked, but when you're on the <laughs> CW, I mean, good gracious. What do you what do they follow that that up with? Bull riding? I mean, you're on the CW, for instance. Exactly. I don't even know where the CW is on my state or my direct TV thing. So Florida State and Miami, their TV revenue payout right now, based because they're in the ACC, is a third of what UCF is going to be in the Big 12. So UCF is about to overtake both of them. Okay. Now it comes to UCF and Florida. Dave, I think, and you tell me, I think the Florida brand is still toxic because of Urban Meyer. I don't think it's un- I think it's underrated how much Urban Meyer made that brand toxic for recruits for a long time. They're about to have a documentary this next month on how Urban Meyer ran that program into the ground. Yeah, I saw that. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that he still has an effect, but it's interesting you bring it up. I'll give it some thought uh definitely over the weekend. And then you've got Oregon as a top 10 job. That's crazy. Here's why I think that's crazy. People want to talk about Phil Knight and the money he puts in it. They've got the cool jerseys and all that stuff, but they've done all that. And they still haven't won a national title. They had Chip Kelly, who was ahead of the curve. They still haven't won a national title. I think of the great football teams, if you want to talk about Georgia and the defensive tackles that they've had, and they didn't just have one or two of them. They had two or three or four of them that would rotate in. The great teams that Tennessee had um, that had the Albert Hainsworths and the John Hendersons at the same time, and then like your fall off is – Oftentimes at Tennessee and Abreu Franklin, who gets another shout out two days in a row. And he had a great or good NFL career. I don't think Oregon will ever get those cats. I think they'll get the fast guys. I think they'll get the guys that want to play quarterback in that system. I think they'll get all those guys. But I don't think they'll year to year have two great defensive tackles that win you championships. I don't think they'll ever have those guys. So if they get to the college football playoff, it's going to be tough to win. So I would not have them in the top 10. I would actually, more along the lines, have another SEC school. I'm just throwing out Florida off the top of my head. I would not have Oregon in the top 10 because of defensive tackle one position because those cats aren't up there. They're all over in the South. So I'll give you that. One thing I didn't think about is I made this list still thinking a 14 playoff, but you're right in a 12 team. You can fluke your way to a national title in a 14 playoff, but you can't fluke your way in in a 12 team playoff. At that point, you're going to have to actually, you're going to run into a team where you're going to have to be more physical than, and at that point, Oregon can't do that. So I I could go, I just can't think of an SEC school because I thought I named Look, Auburn is not a top 10 job. And also you don't want to live in Auburn. Like that that automatically makes it not a top 10 job. And South Carolina, you're competing with Clemson. I mean, and Florida State and Miami, if you go ACC again, all ACC jobs are bad jobs right now. 
every one of them until those schools break off from the ACC. So I just long show, get used to that because it's football season, even though they're not hitting or popping pads yet. It is sec media days. We'll be broadcasting from Nashville next week. Can't wait. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave hooker. This has been a presentation of off the hook sports.